0: The reading is from 1 Corinthians 3, verses 1 to 23. Brothers, I could not address you as spiritual, but as worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not yet ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. You are still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere men? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not mere men? What, after all, is Apollos? And what is Paul? Only servants, through whom you came to believe, as the Lord has assigned to each his task. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God made it grow. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The man who plants and the man who waters have one purpose, and each will be rewarded according to his own labor, for we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, God's building. By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as an expert builder, and someone else is building on it. But each one should be careful how he builds, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If any man builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, His work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each man's work. If what he has built survives, he will receive his reward. If it is burnt up, he will suffer loss. He himself will be saved, but only as one escaping through the flames." Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple, and that God's Spirit lives in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him, for God's temple is sacred, and you are that temple. Do not deceive yourselves. If any one of you thinks he is wise by the standards of this age, he should become a fool, so that he may become wise." For the wisdom of this world is foolishness in God's sight. As it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows that the thoughts of the wise are futile. So then, no more boasting about men. All things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours. And you are of Christ, and Christ is of God. Here ends the reading.
1: May I speak in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Some years ago, whilst holidaying with friends, what used to be a building... From what remained of it, it appeared to have once been a place where someone must have lived, but had long since been abandoned. The roof had fallen in, and only parts of the wooden walls, now rotten, were still standing. The concreted floor was covered with dead leaves and soil, and there were a couple of large cracks in it that must have opened up when the little house shifted in the ground. A wind blew through the whole structure, Causing ancient torn curtains to flutter and raising a swirl of dust and leaves. No doubt, well intentioned, this little house had not been built well. It had lacked a solid foundation and it had been built with cheap, perishable materials. It had been tested by the British climate and it had failed. It was no longer good for anything. The Apostle Paul, in his letter to Corinth, fears that this fledgling church may be facing a similar fate. It seemed that cowboy builders had moved in, had arrived, and as a result, the church was being divided and at risk of being destroyed. Though they certainly thought of themselves as mature and wise, Paul charges that the Corinthian church was in fact immature. Mere infants in Christ, as he puts it in verse 1. They claimed to have moved on from the babyish milk to solid food. But in fact, in doing so, they had abandoned the pure nourishing milk of the gospel and had moved on to a synthetic substitute with little or no nutritional value, wisdom or Sophia. They had advanced, but in quite the wrong direction. Though the Corinthian church had the Holy Spirit evidenced by what was going on amongst them in terms of the expression of the gifts, and they claimed to be spiritual, but it was clear from their behavior that they were not spiritual at all. They took pride in worldly wisdom, and they had divided amongst themselves into factions, each with its own leader, teacher, or mascot, leading to quarrelings and fallings out, And so the Corinthian church was in a dangerous state of immaturity, and it needed to grow up. It needed to be united, built on the gospel, not on worldly wisdom. And it needed to be set apart from the pagan world around it for God's purposes. Paul has a lot to say to the Corinthians, and we're trying in our morning series of sermons to listen in on this conversation. But you know, it's not simply for the Corinthians Every church, and ours included, faces the same dangers as the Corinthians did, the dangers of division, the danger of being built of the wrong stuff or even on the wrong foundation, the danger of being ultimately unfit for purpose. And so in our passage, Paul speaks of how the church should and can be, how the church could be whole, structurally sound, and fit for purpose. We'll take what Paul has to say about the church under three headings. We're going to be going through the passage together, so it would be really helpful to me if you did have it open in front of you. uh, Page 1145. And our first heading of those three is that the church belongs to God. The church belongs to God. This is mostly from verses 5 to 9. I don't know if you've noticed... But there is a tendency amongst Christians and sadly amongst evangelicals in particular to refer to churches in terms of their leaders. For example, you might hear someone speaking of Rick Warren's church or Nicky Gumbel's church or John Piper's church. But this type of talk would not have pleased Paul. The church does not belong to the minister or even to the founder. It belongs to God. Verse 9 makes the point clearly where in the Greek text, the emphasis is altogether on God. So verse 9 more literally reads, God's we are, being fellow workers. God's field, God's building, you are. The church belongs to God. And for the same reason, the church doesn't belong to the people that support it, whether in terms of service or giving. Nor does the church belong to the bishop, nor to the queen. The church belongs to God Let's take every opportunity to remind ourselves that St. Andrew's Church doesn't belong to anyone other than God himself. How about every time we come into a church meeting or take part in a church activity, we ask ourselves something like, why has God called this meeting? What does God want to say in it? Or, why has God started this activity? What does God want to do in it? In forgetting that the church really belongs to God, the Corinthians had got themselves into a real muddle when it came to their leaders. It's so easy to adopt the mentality of one's culture, but in doing so, they had elevated their leaders to positions of eminence and boastful pride. But Paul takes them back to Christian basics. Christian leaders are servants, they're servants of God and servants of the church. Jesus himself, of course, modelled servant leadership in his ministry and he clearly expected his disciples to do the same. And as servants, Christian leaders do not own the church any more than hired farm workers own the farm. The farm is God's and what's more, it's God that produces the growth. And so instead of focusing on and pledging allegiance to a teacher or a leader, the Corinthians were urged to focus on the God to whom they belong the one who really does the work of growing and building the church a consequence of the church belonging to god is that it should be united but sadly if there's one thing that is more that is blindingly obvious to those outside the church is that it is not united but that is the way that's not the way that it should be there is only one banner under which the church should march there is only one tune to which it should dance Being spiritual and being united, Paul says, go hand in hand. Paul tells the Corinthians they cannot be called spiritual because, in verses 1 and verse verse 3, they can't be called spiritual since there was jealousy and quarreling among them. It's not possible for a church to be truly spiritual and divided. Now, I think here we should distinguish between division on the one hand and disagreement on the other. Division Division is unspiritual and contrary to God's will for the church. Disagreement about secondary issues or disagreements over strategy, as far as I can see, is inevitable. The result of diverse individuals trying to work together. Division is sinful and destructive. Disagreement is unavoidable and can, in many cases, be constructive. If the church is an orchestra, a church with disagreements is one that's trying to follow the conductor, but at times making mistakes or failing just to play in complete harmony with one another. In contrast, a divided church is like an orchestra that takes no notice of the conductor at all and perhaps even ignores the the music score. In this case, chaos and division is inevitable. The church that belongs to God should be united. Our second heading, closely related to the first, of course, is that the church is built on Christ. The church is built on Christ. This is mostly from verses 10 to 15, and this is where we pick up the building metaphor. As with an orchestra following a conductor or an army marching under a single banner, so a building can only form a coherent whole if it's built on a single firm foundation and is built with good materials. When it came to the Corinthian church, Paul realized that it was in danger of both abandoning the foundation that had already been laid and in danger of failing to build on that foundation with appropriate materials. Paul states very clearly what that foundation is, verse 11. No one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. In the previous chapter, Paul claims to have resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. This is Paul's gospel, the fundamental basis for the church on which everything should rest. The church is built on Christ. Unity within the church depends completely on being built on this firm foundation, that of Christ and him crucified. Imagine for a moment with me a house that's built on two Separate foundations, perhaps you know, think, of, think of it as, as one half of it being built on one tectonic plate and the other half built on another, spanning the fault line between them. A precarious situation, I'm sure you'll agree. As soon as the foundations move, the house cracks and most probably collapses. Now, I'm not an architect or a structural engineer, but it's plain to me that no one in their right mind will build a, try to build a single structure on more than one foundation. But incredibly, this is, in fact, the situation today in the Anglican Communion, the worldwide family of churches related to the Church of England. In recent years, it's become clear that many, notably in the Episcopal Church in the US, that for many, the church there is being built on a foundation other than Jesus Christ and him crucified. Many of the leaders in the Episcopal Church have denied that Jesus is the only way to the Father, and denied the divinity and uniqueness of Jesus Christ. They've denied the resurrection. They've denied heaven and hell, denied salvation through the cross of Jesus, denied the authority of Holy Scripture, denied the creeds, and denied biblical standards for human sexuality. Deep fissures are opening up in the structure, and the building simply cannot stand. These are, of course, sad days for the Anglican communion, but an inevitable result of some church leaders... Building on another foundation. The true church is built on Christ. In speaking of building, Paul deals not only with the foundation, but also with the superstructure. A few years ago, we had an extension built which included an ex- extended kitchen. The builders had carefully, carefully cleared the site, they marked out and measured exactly what needed to be done where, and uh, they dug the foundations and filled them with concrete but there wouldn't have been a whole lot of point of stopping there. We would never have got our extension, and we would have still been eating takeaways. The foundation is there for a building to be built upon. And Paul's basic point in speaking about the building is that it should be in keeping with that foundation. It should be solid and imperishable. Those responsible for teaching and leading the church have before them a choice of materials, with which to build, the choice between gold, silver, and costly stones, which represent the gospel of Jesus Christ and him crucified, or else wood, hay, and straw, which represent worldly wisdom. The former will stand the test of time and last to eternity. The latter will go some way to constructing a building, but are materials that are ultimately perishable and will not stand the test of time. There are many different types of worldly wisdom or Sophia that can be used as alternatives to the gospel to try to build the church. You might try a bit of philosophy. You might want to appeal to people with some pop psychology. Perhaps draw on some well-established managerial techniques. Or perhaps um, simply emphasize relational good feelings. Now, none of these things are bad in themselves but they simply cannot form the structure of the church. The church is built on Christ. If we attempted to use simply perishable materials, our work will come to nothing, perishing in the fire of testing, whether at times of pressure or else in the future day of judgment. My wife Dawn, as a child, used to live near the Crowthorne Road Research Laboratory. I don't know if you're familiar with it but it's where they, um, amongst other things, test cars. She visited once and saw how they would fill the cars with with these test dummies and crash them rather dramatically into walls. Before the crash, the cars, of course, looked pretty good. But if they hadn't been designed or constructed well with the appropriate crumple zones and reinforcements, they failed the test big time, resulting in simply a, a crumpled heap. For those building the church... If their work is destroyed, Paul tells them that they will lose out on a reward. Quite what the reward is isn't clear from our passage, but if you look forward into chapter 4, verse 5, it seems likely that uh, Paul here is receiving receiving praise from God. The pronouncement, well done, good and faithful servant, that Jesus refers to in Matthew 25. Those who try to build the church with perishable worldly wisdom will end up with nothing, and we'll miss out on the reward. Now, I don't want you to get complacent sitting in the pews thinking this only really applies to people in the church with official teaching and leading ministries, those that get to stand up here. The warnings to build the church on Christ is for all of us. Most, if not all of us, have a role in building the church, whether it's sharing sharing our faith with our friends or our family, whether it's in what we say or in what we do the way we behave. We all have a responsibility to ensure that the church is built on Christ and him crucified. And of course, where do we find the testimony to what Christ stands for and says? Well, it's to be found in the scripture, which is why it's so important for us individually to be immersing ourselves in the scripture. We've, um, there's some material at the back that we've had our attention drawn to, the Bible reading materials. Please Um, Get plugged into that sort of system if you're not already doing that. To have our corporate mind transformed by the word of God so that we can know what it means to be built on Christ. Our final heading, our third and final heading, continues the building theme. If the church is seen as a building, what type of building is it? Well, Paul tells us the church is God's temple, God's dwelling place the place where God's spirit lives. So, following the pattern of our previous headings, the church brims with the spirit. The church belongs to God. The church is built on Christ, and the church brims with the spirit. As it says in verse 16, God's spirit lives in you, and you there is you plural, you as a group, you as a church. That is where God's spirit lives. There's a nice link between the building image in the previous paragraph and being told that this building is in fact the temple. Gold, silver, and costly stones are a reference to the materials that were used in the building of Solomon's temple. If you want to look it up later, it's in one references one Corinthians one Chronicles 29. Paul is using the imagery of this incredibly valuable building to stress how valuable God's temple. In Corinth, is the church in Corinth. It's because of its value and its sacredness that it makes its destruction such a serious issue. Whether it's destroyed from within by division or from without by persecution, anyone who destroys the dwelling place of God is guilty of a capital offense. The church is where God is to be found, the church brims with the Spirit. The Corinthian church is God's temple in Corinth who, when gathered in Jesus' name, experienced the presence and power of the Lord Jesus in their midst. As God's sacred temple, it is set apart for God's purposes, the place where God is to be encountered and through which God blesses the land. There's a beautiful image in Ezekiel 47. You might look it up later, page 880. Ezekiel 47 of a river that flows out from the temple. The temple bringing renewal and life to the surrounding countryside and even making salt water fresh. The church, brimming with the spirit, is sacred, set apart for God's wonderful purposes. As we came into church today, we would have walked past, if you came through the main entrance, an engraving just down on the left at about knee level, which is a quote from 1 Peter 2. You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house. Like the Corinthian church, the church at St. Andrews is to be where God is encountered. It's to be a place or a group of people set apart for God's purposes of declaring his praises and renewing the land. As we come to a close, I just want to share a single quote from Gordon Fee, who has written a commentary on this letter. In it, he says, the local church should be a community that is so powerfully indwelt by the Spirit that it functions as a genuine alternative to the pagan world in which it's found. I wonder, is that how we think of St. Andrew's? As a genuine alternative to the world around us? But that is God's vision for the church. The church... Is humanity, Mark II, a genuine alternative? And God provides us with His Spirit in order to be able to be this. And so the immature Corinthian church was divided and in danger of losing its foundations. It was open to the temptations of worldly wisdom and behaved as if it did not possess the Spirit. At St. Andrews, let us pray that we, by God's grace, would be a mature church, united because we belong to God, are built on Christ, and are brimming with the Spirit. Amen.